0: I want to invite you that you would open your Bible with me tonight to the book of Genesis, chapter 46. Genesis 46, we're teaching on Israel, we're teaching on Joseph, an Old Testament type of Christ there, and knowing that the Lord has. And he's using Joseph here as he's suffered and through his suffering provided a way of salvation for the rest of his brothers. Not only for the rest of his brothers, for all those in the surrounding region in the world there of Egypt where they needed food during the famine. And there in the last chapter that we saw where we left off, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. Joseph has made himself known to those who have hurt him. Joseph now has met up with, again, for the second time, those that mistreated him. And notice what he didn't do when he met them. He didn't blame his brothers for his suffering. This is a man that's blameless. This is a man that's walking in integrity. He is not blaming other people for what has happened in his life. He doesn't see himself as a victim because of the actions of other people towards him. You see, there are many times that you suffer and you make yourself the victim. This is what other people did to me. I'm in this situation because of them. You will always make yourself the victim if your eyes are on yourself. But Joseph's eyes were on God, therefore he wasn't The victim, he was trusting God. He didn't become bitter towards his brothers. Know this, if you become bitter, it helps no one, including yourself. You may think that in your anger or in your bitterness, you're covering up the wound of hurt or of injustice, but notice that all it does, it adds to the womb harm. When he revealed himself to his brothers, notice what he says, It was not you. Sometimes we meet with the people that hurt us and we say, it was them. (laughs) That's who hurt me. That's who did that to me. Notice he says, it was not you. What does he tell them? It was God. God had a purpose. God had a plan. God wanted me here. God is the one that brought me to this place because this is where he needed me to be. You sold me, but he sent me. He sent me to preserve life. Why Joseph here had a theocentric faith and worldview. Well, what does that mean to have a theocentric faith and worldview? Is that you see God at the center of every event of your life. You see God at the center of every event that is taking place in the world. He sees God and everything that happens in his life. The key to everything in life is seeing God at the center. We trust God, and we have a theocentric faith, trusting that he is at the center of every event of our lives, and at the center of every event of this world. He now is saying, this was a divine appointment. So Pharaoh has said, forget your belongings to his brothers, And trade them for the riches that are coming from the throne. Leave back behind where you came from and come to Egypt and be fed from the blessings and the riches that are here from the throne. Now, for the next four generations or four centuries, what would happen is that they would begin by being honored guests, the tribes of Israel with Jacob and Joseph there in Egypt, and then they became suffering slaves all to do with the purpose of what God wanted to do was to mold them into a nation that they needed to be in order for him to do what he wanted to do. God will use suffering as a school in our lives to mold us to become what we need to be. And this is why we trust the Lord, because we know that he is at the center of every event that we live through. In fact, we'll see three things here where God is at the center. God's promises, number one. Number two, God's blessings. And number three, God's goodness. If you'd like taking notes, you can write that down. God's promises, God's blessings, and God's goodness. We title the message tonight, Moving Out with God. Moving out with God. Taking a step of faith. Because Jacob here is now moving with all of his belongings, with all of his family, towards Egypt. He is answering the invitation that he's received from Joseph, that he received from Pharaoh, to come and live near me. And what did Joseph say? If you live near me, close to me, you'll find protection and you'll find provision. Provision. What does it mean when we are invited by God to live near Him, to draw close to Him? What do you find when you draw close to God? Protection. What do you find when you draw close to God? Provision. So now they're drawing close to God. These are here, in the next four verses, God's promises, the the reaffirmed promises of God for Jacob. And it would tell us there in Genesis 46.1, So Israel who is Jacob, took his journey with all that he had. I want you to circle the word all because he left nothing behind. In fact, he he, he is saying, I am not looking back. I'm taking everything with me. And he comes to Berseba and he offered sacrifices to God of his father, Isaac. There he is, Israel, Jacob. God is dealing with him. God is speaking to him. He's received an invitation to leave Canaan and to go to Egypt. And this was when Israel's spirit had revived in him. Do you notice there in the previous verses of chapter 45, it would say that he regained his faith when he heard about Joseph. When he heard that he was alive, he regained his strength. So he set out to Egypt with all that he had. Notice v- verse 46 is he made a decision to step out. But he comes to Beersheba. It says here, this is a southern border between Israel and Egypt. In fact, when they would say from Dan to Beersheba, they were saying from north to south. And notice what he does there when he goes to Beersheba, he, he stops there at the border before going into Egypt, and he sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Notice what that means, he sacrifices. He's going to take a step of faith. He's leaving the place of promise. But before he enters Egypt, he, he stops to worship. He stops to sacrifice. And he sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now notice, he was now 130 years old. And I don't know about you, but as, as the older you get, the harder change becomes. Because we like to be in the space that we're in. We, we fear change. We, we resist change. At 130 years old, notice what happens. After having received the promises of God, after having been in the place where God had promised Abraham, Isaac, now Jacob is in that place. His name is changed to Israel, governed by God. He's familiar with where God has them. There's confidence, there's safety, there's control there. And right where you think that you've arrived at the place where you need to be, then God decides to move you. Have you ever been at the place where you thought this was it, and then God says, I am going to uproot you and move you because where I'm taking you is where I want to use you. And notice what happens. He stomps at Beersheba. What is he doing? He's sacrificing to God at the same place where his father and his grandfather did. He's honoring God. Not only is there a decision in verse 1, there's also a devotion in verse 1. He's going back to the heart of worship. He's going back to worship the Lord. Both Abraham and also Isaac for a time lived at Beersheba. In fact, Abraham called on the name of the Lord there, Genesis 21 at Beersheba. Isaac received the special blessing and promise of God there and also called on the name of the Lord in Genesis 26 there at Beersheba. So now Israel, Jacob, also is going back to Beersheba to do the very thing that Abraham and Isaac did, to call on the name of the Lord. And notice who he calls on, notice who he worships. It says here, the God. I want you to circle the God there. It's the word Elohim in the Hebrew. And this is the name of God that is most referred to throughout Scripture, Elohim, the unlimited supremacy and sovereignty of God, the all-powerful one. That's how it's describing God here. The one who has no boundaries, the one whose nothing is impossible for, the one who brings to pass all the fulfillment of his promises, the promise keeper, the supreme one, the omniscient one, the all-powerful one. This is the God who he's worshiping. Do you see here that he's on the way to receive that which of what his son has already told him? But before he goes to receive, notice what he does. He comes to sacrifice. What does worship mean? Worship means sacrifice. He's sacrificing to the Lord. And then notice what he's also doing. He's trusting in the Lord. He's waiting in the Lord. And he's pausing. There has to be a place of Bersheba in all of our lives. That before we move, we pause and wait on God. That we don't want to step out of God's will. Do you see that's what he's doing here? He knows that he wants to go see Joseph. He has received the message. His sons are telling him, let's move to Egypt now. But just because something seems good, just because all circumstances of the famine around him are pointing him in one direction, people are urging you to do it. You even have a personal desire to move forward doesn't mean you should do it without first hearing from God personally. Too many times we think, well, this is a good idea. This is the only thing that makes sense. Everyone's urging me to do it. In fact, I have a desire to move to the next place. It doesn't mean you should go without first, notice, hearing from God personally for yourself. Don't make that mistake that you move with emotions. Don't move because of how circumstances look. It's important that you ask yourself first before you go anywhere. Is this what God has for me? Ask yourself, what does God have to say about this? Is God in this? You have to know, is God in this before I go into the next place? Because he's leaving Canaan and going to the next place, Egypt, but he stops at Beersheba to wait on the Lord to pause and ask God, Lord, are you in this? Is this from you? That's a very important question that you ought to ask yourself too. That you would come to sacrifice, that you would come to the place where you pause and wait on God, you sacrifice, you seek Him. And notice what happens in verse 2 after He has this posture and this approach. Verse 2 then God spoke to Israel. Isn't this amazing the order of how this happens? He was worshiping, He was seeking, He was pausing. He was waiting, he was devoted, he'd made a decision, but now he's asking God, are you in this? And then God spoke to Israel. It wasn't simply that he stopped to go through the motions. He was waiting to hear the voice of God. Are you waiting to hear the voice of God? And then if you are, what is God saying? Because God wants to speak to you personally about the place where he wants you to be. And God spoke to him. Notice God said, I I love everywhere in scripture where it says God spoke. Because that's our desire even tonight. How many of you desire that God would speak, amen? And God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. God spoke to him as he was dreaming or the visions of the night as it was described there. And he calls him Jacob, Jacob. This is how God calls people in the Bible. Sometimes he says, Jacob, Jacob, Abraham, Abraham, Martha, Martha, Saul, Saul. But do you notice how God meets us right where we are? And he's calling him Jacob. He's calling him by that, that old nature. He he, he calls him as a man that's living in his old nature selfishly. He doesn't call him Israel. He says Jacob as that old man who was still struggling in the flesh. But God speaks to him when he's seeking God. Note that. God is speaking to him when he's seeking God. And the Lord here reveals to us that he he knows our name, but he also knows our personal needs. This is what Jacob needed here to hear from God. He he knows our name, and he knows our personal need. And he meets us right where we are. In John chapter 10, verse 14, notice what Jesus said. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. There are many times that we look at the life of Jacob, and, and we always like to criticize him acting as a schemer as a deceiver, but here he's waiting on God. He's learned some valuable lessons at 130 years old. Thank God, right? He he knows that at this point in his life, he, he doesn't have much to risk anymore. And notice how he answers here, because he says, here I am. When God speaks, this is how we should answer, here I am. You know what here I am means? Lord, speak, I'm listening. But it also means I'm ready to obey. It's not simply about if you know what he's saying, are you willing to obey his instructions? Lord, here I am. God is speaking. He's available to listen and obey. He's hearing the voice of God for approval. He's hearing the voice of God for confirmation. This is the kind of attitude that we should have when we open our Bible or we can go to prayer, open the Bible and said, Lord, here I am. Would you speak to me? Lord, here I am, I, I want to hear your voice. Lord, here I am, I'm ready to obey. Lord, here I am, I, I need confirmation. Lord, here I am, I need a- approval. Lord, here I am, would you guide me? I- I'm pausing, I'm waiting. I want to know that this next place is for you, that that you are in this. And notice how God responds. So he said, I am the God of your father. And he's going to now give him three statements that are so defining to reveal himself to Jacob again. The first one is reminding Jacob who God was. He says, I want you to remember something. I am the God of your fathers. This is who I am. And I want you to listen to what I have to say. In fact, notice what he says. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. Why is he telling him this? Because he's leading his family to a foreign land. Because God's taking him out of the promised land that he brought him to in Genesis chapter 28. And now here Jacob is leaving that promised land. And God is assuring him. He says, don't be afraid now. I know you're leaving that promised land, but here I have assurance for you as to where I'm bringing you. This is the assurance that God brings you tonight as well. I want you to know that. God is bringing you assurance. Maybe you are troubled. You have affliction. You're worried about something. You're turning on the news and you're afraid. You don't know what's going to happen next. Well, you know what the Lord's words for us tonight are? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? He was doubting. He was fearful. In his mind, notice, some of it didn't make sense. Why? Because he was looking back. He was thinking back. And notice, in the famine, in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham went to Egypt, he got in trouble in Egypt. He remembered also that that the Lord had told Isaac in Genesis 26, do not go down to Egypt. But now God is telling him to do it. And notice what he says I am the God of your father. And then here's the second statement I will make of you a great nation there. Do you see God is at the center of this? I am the God of your father. This is the God, the supreme being. This is the all-powerful one. This is the sovereign one. This is the one that's in control. This is the all-knowing one. That's who I am, the God of your father, and I will make of you. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to make out of you a great nation. So don't be afraid. Out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. He is reaffirming the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, great in number, great in influence, great in size. But notice, I, I'm going to do this out of you, and where's he going to do it? He's going to do it there. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, because I'm going to make out of you a great nation in size, and in influence, and in power. Where? There. Look at the word "there" in your Bible. Because it's not that he's going to do it anywhere. He's going to do it there. There means that God has a specific place for his plan. There means that God has a specific and perfect will for Jacob's life. And it's important that we look at that word there because this is where we are seeking God for his placement in our lives. Lord, where is it that you want to have me? And he says, that, that is the place. That is now giving him the direction into what God's perfect will for his own life is. Did you know that there is a perfect will for your own life in, that has been ordained by God? And God's perfect will for your life may look different than God's perfect will for someone else's life. So you can't say, well, you know what? How come I'm not doing what they're doing? <laughs> well, God has a specific, perfect plan and place for you. You know what our responsibility is to follow the leading of God and know, Lord, this is where you're taking me and that's where I want to be. I, I want to be at the place where you want me. So he's saying, don't be afraid. It, it is safe to relocate your family. Now, do you know why he tells him this in only three verses? Because God wanted to remind Jacob that he was not limited to the land of Canaan. Have you ever been in a place where God is saying, I want you to step to the next place. I want you to take a step of faith. And we think, well, no, God, this is where you've done all the work. (laughs) And God is saying, but I'm not limited to the land of Canaan. And sometimes we think, well, what's bigger than Canaan? What's bigger than the promised land? What's bigger than this? What's better than this? You know what? The answer to what's bigger and better than that? God. Sometimes we're so emotionally attached to the place that we've been that we forget what's bigger and what's better. It's the Lord. Yes, he was leaving the land of God, but he was not leaving the God of the land. And we have to remember that. He, you may be leaving the land of God, which is Canaan, but you're not living, leaving the God of the land. He is receiving his instructions. Know this, God is the God of all the earth. He's not limited to one place. He's saying, going down to Egypt, no matter where you are, I'm going to be with you. In Psalms 83:18, notice what the psalmist David said, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. He is the Lord of all the earth, including Egypt. God does not need perfect circumstances to work. Sometimes we doubt God because of where he's taking us, but God doesn't need a perfect circumstance for him to do the work that he needs to in your life. What did he say? He delights to build his church even at the gates of hell. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail, the Lord himself said. But he reaffirms the promises that he's given already to Abraham, that he keeps his promises, he renews his promises, and and notice, he's going to bless him where he's called him to be. Where I'm taking you, don't be afraid, don't doubt, that's where I'm going to bless you. I like what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, hesitate, my dear friend, while you are not sure what it is God's will. But once you are certain that it is according to the Lord's mind, it will be unfaithfulness to God to have any kind of fear. Notice, it will be unfaithfulness to God to have any type of fear once you are certain. Steam straight ahead for what lies your haven. Steam straight ahead. Yes, be cautious in the beginning when you're not certain, but once you know, it would be unfaithfulness to God to be living a life of fear. So what is here Jacob learning to do here? He was learning to trust God with his future. You know what your future is in? In the hands of God. Isn't it awesome to know, even as you study the life of Joseph, that man doesn't control our future? That no matter what man does, our future is in the hands of God. David said in Psalms 31, verse 15, my times are in your hands. The the enemy, man, circumstances may change, but Lord, my times, your purpose will always prevail. So in verse four, he says this, I will go down with you to Egypt. I will also bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Here comes again, the next two statements. First, I am the God of your father. The next, I will make out of you a great nation. Number three here is I will go down with you to Egypt. This is the confirmation, the encouragement, the assurance that his presence is going to go with him. He's saying here, you're not going alone. This is guaranteeing the success of where he's going to be. And then he follows it up here in verse 4 again with this fourth statement. Notice, I will again. I will also surely bring you up again. Yes, you're going. I'll be with you. But I'm going to bring you out again. Egypt is not going to be your permanent home for you, Israel, for you and your children and your generation and this nation. You're going to be delivered out of Egypt. This is now the Foreshadowing of the the exodus that would take place there. In fact, he gives him this now comfort in saying, Joseph is going to put his hand on your eyes. When you die, Joseph will close your eyes. He's going to be there. Do you see God's promises there? Even speaking to us, what is he saying? He says, "Don't be afraid. This is who I am. You have nothing to fear." Number two, I'll make out of you a gray nation. I'm going to bless you where I've called you. Number two, I will bring you up again. What does that mean? I'm going to take you and then I will still remain with you. Yes, I'll go down with you, but also bring you up. Do you see God's faithfulness here in the life of Israel? And the same promises that were for Israel then are the same promises that are for Israel today. Right now when you see the situation and what's taking place, you can look at these four statements from God. God was with Israel then. He's with Israel now. God was all-powerful for them then. He is all-powerful for them today. I I will go with you. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will bring you up again. These are all God's promises. But notice God's blessings here from verses 5 to verse 27. Verse 27. Because then Jacob arose after hearing from God, from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father, Jacob, their little ones, their wives, and their carts, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. After he heard from God and noticed, he was determined. And he paused, but then he arose. Do you see here that he's going to finish what he started? He's not going to stop halfway. It's not simply how we start something. How many of us know it's also how we finish it? You can't say, well, I started and I heard from God and I was seeking him, but I never really did what he told me to do. Now he's going to get up and he's going to finish. He's not simply going to begin. He's also going to finish. So his entire family carries all of their children in these carts, all their possessions to move from Canaan to Egypt. And it says, so they took their, verse 6, all their livestock, their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan. And they went to Egypt, Jacob, and all of his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now notice, this is the the, the first exodus that we see where Israel is involved. From Canaan to Egypt. The second exodus you see there in Israel goes from now Egypt back to Canaan. And then we know there's a third exodus where we will exit our own Egypt, which is the world, in a twinkling of an eye where there is a mass exodus of the church from the world. And that can happen at any time. That is when we'll be raptured. That's what we have to be Reading Scripture, Matthew 24, would tells us the signs of the times. We know we're living in days where any day we can be raptured and there can be that massive exodus. But there it lists from verses 8 to verses 27, all those who went with him and the names of the children of Israel by tribes. So if you read there from verses 8 to verse 15, it lists The tribes or the names of the children of Jacob from eight to 15, the sons of Leah and her servants. And there you see listed Reuben, then you see listed Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, all as a part of the sons of Leah and her servant, the tribes of the nation of Israel. Then from verses 9 to 24, it also gives the the rest of the tribes of the nation of Israel, according to the sons of Rachel and her servants. There you go, and you read there also from verse 16, Gad, Asher, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali. You see these tribes from both sides of the family there. And Judah mentioned, which is the preservation of the messianic line that was preserved because that's where Jesus would come from that's the line that leads us to Jesus now in verse 25 as we go back after seeing all the tribes mentioned all 12 tribes of the nation of Israel going from Canaan to Egypt notice there verse 25 these were the sons of Bala who Laban gave to Rachel his daughter and she bore these to Jacob seven persons in all All these persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. 66. That's how the family began, with 12 tribes, 66 in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob that went to Egypt were 70. So entirely... With all his sons, from both wives and their servants, 70 people. Now, think about it, just 70 people. When, when they went into Egypt, there were 70. When they came out of Egypt, it is estimated there were more than 2 million people. You think 400 years in bondage. But like many great works of God, notice Israel here had a slow beginning. That is slow. Sometimes we want God to do a work. He's promised something back in Genesis chapter 12. And maybe God's promised something in your life many chapters ago. And you're saying, God, when are you going to fulfill this? For from the time that God called Abraham, it took at least 25 years for him to have his first son, Isaac. Think about that. 25 years. It took Isaac 60 years to have another son whose name was Israel, which is Jacob. It took about 50 to 60 years for Jacob to have those 12 sons that were just mentioned there. This entire family to go from one to 70 70, that is mentioned, it was like 200 years. (laughs) And then 400 years of bondage, they came out of Egypt as over 2 million people. Do you see that God has a progressive work that he's doing? We, We shouldn't only trust God's ultimate plan. We should also trust how God develops that plan and he unfolds that plan in our lives. This is all of God's blessing from verses seven to verse 27. God blessing, God adding to the family, God doing what he said he would do. These 12 tribes are listed. They're moving into Egypt, but notice verse 28, God's goodness now. From God's promise to God's blessing to God's goodness, it continues. Then he sent Judah before him To Joseph, notice this is Jacob sending Judah, who's become the spiritual leader of the family, who's standing in the gap, and he sends him now before to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen, and they came to the land of Goshen. If you remember in the previous chapter, Goshen was a very fertile area and place where shepherds can there be with their sheep, and this fertile area of land, you know what it represents there the goodness of God. I'm taking you to a place that is fertile. I'm taking you to a place where there's life. I'm taking you to a place where there's going to be fruits. That's where God was taking them. A place that Joseph had prepared for his family. And it would tell us there in verse 29, so Joseph made ready his chariot. Notice what he does. And we went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. Now, it doesn't say he went up there to meet his brothers he, he or his family or their relatives. He wanted to meet his father. And, and notice the heart, notice the posture, the integrity of Joseph, because it says here that he went to meet his father Israel and then he presented himself to him and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. What did Joseph have that we see here now? He's overcome with joy. He's overcome with thanksgiving. And he gets his own chariot. He goes to meet his father. And he hugs his father. And he cries on his father's neck. And he, he holds on to him. And notice, and it says that it was for a good while. He he fell on his neck. Notice. He threw himself on his father. I mean, just picture this happening. You know why this is so important? Because this is a man of Authority. This is a man of responsibility. You know what Joseph is not doing? He's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed. He, he's not ungrateful of his father. He, he doesn't have his, his chest out, his chin up, prideful because of what he's become, that he can't honor his father. He still is honoring his father. He's honoring his parents. There's so many times you see people that, their parents did so much for them. And now God either is using or they're getting blessed. And they're saying, you know, I'm so busy. I, have, I, I don't have time for my family. I'm too busy to love my father. Now, notice what Joseph did. He, he had a sense of honor in his heart and in his mind. He went and he honored his father. And notice what happens, and Israel said to Joseph here, the posture that he had, but notice how he responds, he has a heart for his father, a heart for his family, he's not too busy for them, he loves them, and Israel said to Joseph, now let me die. What do you mean, you just got here? But he says, now let me die, since I've seen your face. Because you're still alive. You know what he's saying? I- I'm satisfied. I- I'm content now. I- I'm fulfilled in life. I-, I can die now. I've seen you. I can die now. Just think about it. Sometimes we think, you know, I'm good. I-, I think I'm done in this life. I finished my race. I mean, he, in fact, after he said that statement, he still lived another 17 years. Just think about it, for many of us who say, you know what? I think any day now the Lord's going to take me. He probably still has a lot of time left. But notice what happens here. You know what he's saying? I'm not afraid to die because I've seen your face. Since I've met Joseph now, since I know he's alive, there's hope for me. I'm not scared to die. I'm ready to die a happy man. That's what he's saying. I think there's something important here about Israel who... Is being governed by God. I mean, what what will it take for you to say, you know what, I I can die a happy person. There's hope for me because I've seen Jesus who is alive. There is hope for me in my death because of your life, Christ. That's what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, that we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. We, We may sorrow when a loved one Dies, but you notice what happens. We don't sorrow without hope. We sorrow with hope because of the life that we have in Christ Jesus. And notice there in verse 31. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and I will tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers, and those of my father's house, who in the land of Canaan have come to me. Now notice how he's caring for them. What does he say? I will go, I will tell. I'm going to go to Pharaoh, and I'm going to be your advocate. I'm going to be your mediator. This is a man who's second in command. I want you to pay attention to what's happening here. But he doesn't take anything upon himself. He never assumed. He wasn't entitled. He didn't think I can go ahead and do my own plans, even with the level of responsibility and the power and authority that I have been given. Notice there's a humble accountability about Joseph here. I'm going to go tell Pharaoh. I'm going to stay accountable. I'm not going to do my own thing. He planned ahead first and then he stayed accountable. He was insane. saying, I can do whatever I want. This is my family. I'll, I'll just go ahead and do it. No, even with the level of responsibility and authority that he was entrusted with, he remained accountable. You notice what he was? Responsible. This is what integrity looks like. Yes, I'm going to go tell Pharaoh so that I remain blameless, so that I remain with integrity. And notice what he's going to tell him. The man... Our shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. He's saying this is what they do for work. Notice the word occupation. You notice it represents work. He was assuring Pharaoh, my brothers came to what? To work. <laughs> Don't think my family's here just to get. They've come to work in this field. They've come to work in this land. They've come to take care of your sheep and your livestock. This is what they've done for occupation. They have been with livestock from our youth. Notice youth. They've been committed. They've been consistent. They're not just going to walk around here lazy, having nothing to do. They have come with the purpose. And from our youth, we've been committed to do one thing. They brought their livestock, their flock, notice, even our fathers. It would explain their, their herds and all that they have see verse 32 is so important because he's telling i'm going to go tell pharaoh what you do for work and what you've been doing since your youth not only was he accountable but do you see here that he didn't expect any special treatment for his family how many times do you think that because you have a position of leadership that your family gets special treatment He says, my family's not going to get special treatment. I have integrity. You know what they're going to do? They're going to come to work. (laughs) That's what they do. That's what they know how to do. They'll be doing that. And he needs preparing his brothers. And he tells them this in verse 33. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? What do you do for a living? That you shall say your servant's occupation. Notice, you're going to respond this. We're your servants. We're ready to work. We've been with livestock from our youth even till now. Both we and also our fathers that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. You're going to say this so that you can live in this land of Goshen. Now, do you notice what he's also doing? He prepared a place for them. He, He prepared them for their meeting with Pharaoh. But he is also protecting them. Not only preparing them, he's protecting them. Protecting them from what? From becoming corrupted in Egypt. You know what he's saying? You're going to live in Goshen, which is outside of Egypt, on the outskirts of Egypt. I don't want you to intermingle there. I want you to be separated. And in fact, notice, I want you to tell him what you do so that he allows you to live separated from the Egyptians and Goshen. And notice what he says, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. The Egyptians consider that sheep unclean, therefore they despise shepherds. Do you see how God is even using this racial and ethnical prejudice that the Egyptians had as a way of preserving the ethnical and spiritual identity of his own people. He used even this to keep them separated from the Egyptians so that they would keep their ethnicity and spiritual identity that they belonged to God. They were a separated people. They lived separate in Goshen. God even uses that to work out his purpose and plan and protection on his people. You know, when we read this chapter, it reminds us of one thing, that we have to keep trusting in God. Just like we sang that song, even when I don't see it, what, what does it say? You're working. <laughs> God brings the victory in our lives. It's not by striving. It's not by trying. It's not by forcing things. It's by trusting in the Lord. We don't trust in manpower. We trust in God's power. That he is able to answer that he's able to save. How do we do that? Cautiously hearing the voice of God. Lord, we want to hear your voice. Before we do anything, Lord, let us hear your voice. And then notice how God responds when he's leading the way. I am the God of your fathers. Don't be afraid. I will go with you. I will make out of you. I will bring you up again. God's presence leading In Psalms 20, verse 7, the psalmist David would say this, some trust in chariots. Would you turn there with me? Psalms 20, verse 7. And with this, we'll close tonight. Psalms 20. And this is David's confidence. Having known battle, having understood war, he he responds this way. In fact, we can read from verse 6. Psalms 20, verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength on his right hand. Verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. This should be as a statement of faith in our lives. Some people trust in chariots. Look at we have a... Good, strong chariots, summon horses, horse power. We have the power, the strength of horses. But notice what David said, but we, don't you love the word we? It's not just I. He says we, we together as a church, as a body, as believers. Notice we will what? Notice remember, we will trust, we will wait on the name of the Lord our God. Where is our trust? Is it in the strength of, of government? Is it in the strength of nations? Isn't the strength of of policies? No, it's not. Notice, today, tomorrow, the next day, what are we going to do? We're going to remember the name of the Lord our God. Our trust is in God himself. Can we pray?